0: Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability if not like me? Imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solutions to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to this new episode. Today, we are going to see an exciting charity, a leading charity from UK to create a world in which resources are used sustainably. And to do that, we are so happy to have the international director, Richard Swanell. Thank you, Richard, for being here with us.
1: And thank you, Sam for having me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion and it's such a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for being here and taking time to come and share valuable insight to our audience. Before going deeper into WARP and, and the discussion, let us see what is the Richard sustainability journey, and then how you have become the Vrap director.
1: It started back actually in the late 1980s when I started working uh, after I'd done my first degree and I was doing my master's actually on the fate of oil in the natural environment. I was looking at how quickly oil could be removed by natural processes and how that could be enhanced in order to try and deal with oil pollution and oil spill. This is tremendously exciting in terms of at that stage, in the early 90s, there was a big number of oil spills, um, late 1980s and early 1990s. There was the uh, Exxon Valdez, of course, the famous one in, in Alaska. And then, of course, we had uh, oil spills in the UK and around the world. Yeah, they had huge acute impact directly after those spills. And how could we work to actually remove this problem as quickly as possible and get as rapid recovery as we possibly could? Um, and I used to joke a little bit with my dad because my dad was an, it was an engineer. And I used to say, well, you know, you're you're making cars and, and I'm actually dealing with the consequences of fueling those cars around the world and actually trying to sort that out. Um, That was really interesting stuff. So the highlight of that was in uh, 1996 when there was the the Sea Empress spill in in Wales and there was all systems go in the UK to try and clean up a part of West Wales, which was very badly hit by that particular spill. And we were able to sort of develop some new technology from that, which was then uh, deployed in a number of parts of the world. Um, all about enhancing the natural rate of um, degradation of oil. And from that, I then moved into dealing with contaminated land and uh, contaminated groundwater, again, uh, with multiple compounds, but particularly oil. And then from that, I then uh, secured a job actually working in a particular company to help businesses reduce waste. So I went from being uh, very specifically around oil oil degradation started working more and more with businesses and this coincided with the fact that actually one of solving large numbers of oil spills was double hulled vessels um, to transport oil around which dramatically reduced the amount of uh, oil pollution that resulted from spills so i then was working with businesses to help businesses actually prevent waste in the first place and reduce their environmental impact and this was at a time of course when there was increasing awareness of global warming and its implications and and that then for me was a seminal moment because I sort of moved from thinking actually cleaning up uh, the natural world is around dealing with man's pollution, you know, on a local scale, you know, like an oil spill or um, contaminated land, which is around a particular factory or contaminated groundwater, which came from some point sources, which could be uh, agricultural or, or industrial. Um, to thinking, actually, this is about dealing with global problems. And as soon as you started thinking about the global impact of global warming, the clues in the title, that encouraged me to start thinking about working with businesses, particularly, to try and help them, you know, reduce waste, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and actually save money in, in that process. And so I, I worked for a, a government programme then called EnviroWise, which did, you know, for basically for every uh, £1 spent on it by government, it saved businesses £10 and reduced waste. And that gave me an insight in particularly into the retail sector um, and also the the concept of the circular economy. And then I had a a job came up at RAP, the Waste and Resources Action Programme, um, the charity I now work for, which is all about working with the retail sector to reduce packaging and food waste. And I was very lucky to get that job um, and move into RAP. And the last Um, uh, sort of um, uh, a few years. I joined RAP in in 2004 um, and have been working with uh, in the UK and increasingly internationally ever since. Wonderful stories. I love the discussion you had with
0: your father. You are really still, you're still cleaning up and and you you are preparing a better world for, for your children and grandchildren. Let us dig a bit on that, you know, You have mentioned what RAP is about, and then let us try to see, you know, you also uh, mentioned the acronym. Can you tell a bit about it? Which is the mission and the the problem that it's trying to solve?
1: As you mentioned at the start, Samuel, RAP's mission is a world in which resources are used sustainably. And by that we mean material resources, but also used in a way that minimizes its impact on the natural environment. A core part of our mission is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in our target sectors. The scale of this is, is huge, as we all know, I mean, this is a, a global problem. So where can RAP really make a difference? So what we've done is we've focused in core areas. we focused in on food and transforming the food system. we focused in on plastics and reducing plastic and delivering a more circular economy in plastics. Um, we're focusing on textiles and encouraging more sustainable consumption of textiles while reducing greenhouse gas emissions associated with that. And of course, also actually driving the circular economy by uh, encouraging the collection of materials that allows materials to go back into the circular economy. So there's three core systems we're trying to change, the food, the plastics, and the textiles. And integral into that is actually managing those resources more sustainably, getting resources out of waste and putting them back into the economy where they can be productive, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, um, create jobs, and create a more resource efficient, more sustainable circular economy.
0: Wonderful. It's, I think they are the three main key areas which uh, are really crucial for the future of our planet. Let me ask you a bit which is the history and maybe the successes of, of your organization?
1: At the start of all this, um, you know, when I joined um, in 2004, one of the things we, all had, we had to do then was um, working with businesses to try and actually reduce, in that particular case, was to reduce packaging. Introduce food waste. We did. We looked around the world at what was best practice in that particular time is the one way to go, and we came up with a, you know, a voluntary agreement approach, which would basically be government, uh, RAP, and businesses all working together towards common targets. And the first one of those was called the Courtold Commitment. And the reason it was called the old Commitment was because the first meeting between governments and uh, RAP and, and businesses. Uh, retailers particularly was held at the court Old gallery in London um, and so it, it got the court old commitment came out of that um, and, and so what we wanted to do was to say right let's all work together towards this common goal let's set a very clear set of expectations, very clear targets and what we'll do is we'll report collectively on all of the um the progress of the businesses on an annual basis so that we know that we're actually implementing measures that can make sure that we hit the targets. And so we set fairly ambitious targets in terms of actually uh, stopping the growth in packaging, for example, getting absolute reductions in packaging, and also to to actually work with citizens and to reduce food waste both in the home and then increasingly down down the supply chain. And the reason we wanted to focus on those core areas is food waste is a massive source of, of, of waste in the UK and also a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions. So by working together with, with the major retailers, food manufacturers, and indeed with the government through the Love, Food, Hate, Waste campaign and the quartile commitment, you know, by 2012, we'd actually helped citizens reduce food waste by around a million tonnes per year. So a very significant reduction in food waste and saving huge you know, billions of pounds in terms of food waste savings. So what we're able to demonstrate is this approach of working in partnership with businesses, was delivering real results.
0: Thank you so much, Richard. It is a wonderful story. I think and can see also the leading of your organization that's taken you not know, to fight food waste and bringing together in the spirit of the partnership all the different actors. Maybe for the audience, you said you work in food, in plastic and textile. I think it would be interesting to see the impact of the work that uh, you are doing, this key three area. If you can share with us some impact stories.
1: So if we just take The of commitment first um, on food. So what we've done with food is up to 2018, actually, we've now helped reduce food waste across the whole supply chain by uh, 27%. So edible food waste has come down by 27% over that period. And actually, food waste in the home has come down by 31%. And that's sort of saving of the order of $6 billion um, uh, every single year. And to give you an idea of, in carbon emissions, uh, that food wasn't wasted. uh, That food was responsible for about uh, the same emissions as taking 2.2 or 2.3 million cars off the road uh, in the UK. And the the sale of cars in the UK was about 2 million in 2019, to give you a rough idea. So that is a very significant impact uh, across the supply chain. We've also applied this similar voluntary agreement approach, this public-private partnership approach, um, in textiles and also in plastics. So in plastics, is the plastics pact. And in textiles, um, we, we started off with the sustainable clothing action plan, all about you know, driving more sustainability within clothing. Um, and now that's moved on to textiles 2030, uh, launched uh, uh, last year, which is all about halving greenhouse gas emissions uh, associated um, with clothing by 2030. So, We've used the different models. And if I might just draw a couple of examples from each of those. In plastics, form, one of the things that Rap did was work with academics and with industry to generate a methodology, a safe methodology for converting PET and HDB bottles. So these are these are the traditional sort of milk bottles that you've got in the UK, and also drinks bottles, and converting them back into food grade plastics that could go back into, into bottles. So this is a genuinely a way of sort of driving a more circular economy and what we've seen with the plastic packs uh, in the UK and increasingly around the world is increasingly businesses designing their plastic packaging for recycling to make it easier so a a classic one there is moving away from coloured PET uh, like green PET to clear PET because that's actually a lot easier to recycle uh, and and actually you know making sure that uh, we've moved away from problem plastics so for example Uh, Problematic unnecessary single-use plastics have come down nearly 50%, so 46% since 2018, and the amount of PVC packaging has gone down 80% since 2018 as a result of work in that particular area. And increasingly you're seeing on the shelves, not just in the UK but around the world, 100% recycled bottles or 80% bottles that contain 80% recycled content. What's great about that, and if we're, when we're buying those bottles, is, is that by doing that, we're driving demand for the recycled material uh, in the first place, which means that it then becomes economically uh, beneficial to make sure we segregate and collect those bottles separately, those plastics separately, so they can go back into the economy. Now, there's loads more to do in this space, but what this is showing is it's showing the beginnings of a circular economy, beginning to develop not just in one country like the UK, but actually increasingly around the world. This is really critical because if we are going to achieve the important objectives of reducing climate change and staying to limiting the global increase to 1.5 degrees C, these types of systemic changes are absolutely key.
0: I cannot agree more with you that systemic change and the way we think, it's really a a way also to change the behavior of the consumer. And you you have shown real clear results. The reduction and the percentage that you have uh, given us, it shows the impact of the work that you are doing and how to translate that so this work that you have done as a leading role in the United Kingdom. You are the International Director, which is the role now and the way forward for you and the work you are doing to bring systemic change even broader and abroad. And I'm sure you can discuss how you are already working on it.
1: Exactly, Samara. I mean, this is my main role now, is to sort of take some of this learning and work with partners in other countries to help come up with solutions that work for those countries. So this is really around taking the bare bones of an approach that works and adapting it so that it can work in other countries. And we're doing this particularly in plastics, where we're currently working in over 20 countries around the world, actually looking at public-private partnerships in places like Kenya, in in India, in South Africa, in Chile, where we're trying... We've got agreements with businesses um, on the targets, and we're now working with them on implementing those targets through our uh, in-country partners. The critical bit here is that adaptation process and also then sharing expertise around the world. So not only is there a sharing of expertise from Europe to other parts of the world, but also we're beginning to see the sharing of expertise between countries that are working in this space, so creating a whole movement towards driving change. And we're also beginning to do this exactly the same thing uh, in food, uh, working in Mexico, Australia, uh, South Africa, um, Indonesia and in supporting actually public private partnerships across Europe in terms of helping to reduce food waste, both in the supply chain um, and in the home. And also we're working on the West Coast of uh, of America. Um, with the Pacific Coast Food Waste Commitment, which involves uh, California, uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, D.C., and British Columbia, all working together towards that common goal. So we're beginning and integrating into that, and this is, we're just beginning to start that, also the behavioural change side of this, which is all about helping citizens reduce food waste, um, and indeed also changing uh, behaviours so that they make uh, more sustainable choices and play their part, our part, in actually helping deliver the climate emissions. The third area, of course, is textiles. And actually the work we've done in the UK uh, showed that we could reduce the impact of clothing by, we did in fact reduce the impact of carbon terms by 21.6% over the period of of SCAP. And we're now taking that, that's a sustainable clothing action plan. And we're taking that model now into other countries around the world um, in order to try and drive the systemic change in clothing that we also think is absolutely Hmm. crucial.
0: Wow, that is a, a huge road, and I can see the impact and, of your work already reaching the planetary scale. I really like the way the movement, you know, because without that, it will be very difficult. And the adaptation that you are doing also to bring change from your experience and adapting to the different reality and very broad from emerging economy to established. We have seen also, as have seen the, the role of businesses. As a big partnership, as the force for good, there is a huge discussion from the academia, also to the, at the ground level about the role of big businesses, you know, within this and how it can be enablers, because of course, it is not only the work of the charity, but seeing also that working together with the businesses. Which are your insights uh, from your big collaboration that you have with big names? and big leading companies in the world for this profit not-for-profit working together to deliver, you know, an incredible uh, objective.
1: So, Samali, I think the key to this is uh, within the public-private partnerships is being really clear that there is a shared objective. Businesses and, indeed, governments you know, all working together towards the common targets that we've all agreed. And then it's a question of how do we deliver these targets? And what is the role of the the key members of the the public-private partnership in developing that? And so we often codify that, we describe that in a clear roadmap to drive change. So the Plastic Pact uh, in the UK and around the world have got a roadmap to say, this is how we're going to deliver the targets. And this is the role of businesses. And this is the role of uh, government potentially can do to, to make a difference. And also how we might work with citizens. And so by having those clear objectives And also a clear evidence base. So, you know, what is actually going to give you the biggest bang for buck? You know, what are the changes that are going to have the biggest impact on delivering the targets? And let's focus on that. And and to do that, what's really interesting is that um, businesses and their suppliers all working towards a common cause. What was fascinating is when the toll commitment was first described, companies in the supply chain were going to their retail and food manufacturing customers saying here's how we can help you hit your court old targets and so there was a consistent message going down that here was the focus and companies were responding in the supply chain to help deliver that change and so once you've got the evidence base then action can be quite rapid and let me give you some examples Um, just if I take some from the food uh, from the food area um, one of the things that the evidence shows you know, actually led to food waste in the homes were offers in in store called buy one get one free so that might mean you go into, into a supermarket and there'll be an offer on carrots there'll be a kilo of carrots and you could get another kilo of carrots for the same price that's great value if you can use all those carrots But if in the process of taking the extra kilo of carrots, you end up then wasting half of those extra carrots, then that isn't a great benefit for the environment or indeed for the pocket. So one of the things we presented this evidence to to the sector and suggested some alternatives, which gave exactly the same benefits to customers, but actually reduced the risk of food waste. So, for example, um, half price offers. So, you know, they, instead of going in and getting buy one, get one free, you can say you can have this kilogram of, of carrots for half price. And if you want a second, a second kilogram, that's also half price. So you get the same amount of carrots for the same amount of money. Or, uh, and another option would be to uh, have a special price uh, by having a mix to match. You know, say there's three fruits that if you uh, combine them, you get a special price for those, well, which, again, doesn't favor over purchasing and therefore can lead to waste. And, and so what the, the net effect of giving the evidence and having the focus on the targets was that that buy one, get one free offers have now virtually disappeared from UK supermarkets uh, over that period. of time on perishable items. Another example is date labels. And what we found when we started is that you go into a supermarket and you'd find products which would have a use by or best before, a use by, a food safety indication, best before is a quality one, and then there will be a display until date. Um, or a sell-by date. So there could be at least two dates, on, and those two dates confuse people. They thought, which do I need to worry about? Is it a sell-by? Is it the best before? And also, in some categories, you'd find both, you know, on the same product, hard cheese, some would have a use-by, which is about food safety, some would have a best before, which is about quality, which is it? So what we did is we worked with the Food Standards Agency and uh, the UK government and businesses to come up with new guidance which made it really, really clear that you know, go with one date label if it's required—the um, use by or the best before—and um, uh, actually make it really prominent. And even on things like um, fresh fruit and vegetables, you might even find you don't need a best before at all, and you can help because there, there's not a food safety issue. People can rely on, on their senses to work out how fresh. The produce is and so again we've seen a big shift towards that you know one label big label and in many cases actually retailers um, taking off best before on things like uh, loose fruit and vegetables so you know those are the types of things that retailers have done and of course they've done that for the benefit of their customers to help their customers reduce food waste and that's the sorts of partnerships that we're trying to develop and take around the world.
0: Richard thank you so much for these incredible valuable insights also you shed the light so how you work and really how you put together government companies your not for profit and the work you are doing to give practical solution to problems it's really confusing me i mean what you're saying recalls me that sometime here i go to the supermarket in kenya i'm very confused sell by use by. it's really something that needs to be shared and taken globally I really want to deeply thank you for for your sharing and for your insights. We are approaching the end, and as usual, after these valuable uh, lessons that you are giving us, I want to ask you, you know, from your experience, you started with the oil and the discussion, and then now you have, you are now a leader in the transformation to enabling circular economy. On a planetary scale, we might say, which is the message you want to give to our audience?
1: Well, thank you, Samuel, and thank you very much for the opportunity to share this experience with you and your listeners. I, I really appreciate that. And I guess the final message I'd like to leave with, with your listeners is, is probably derived from being lucky enough to go to COP26 uh, last year and listening uh, to the fabulous work that is being done around the world to tackle climate change. And this clearly is the problem. The environmental problem of our time, not only environmental, the social and economic problem of our time. And I guess one of the things that we can easily sort of get to is, is the scale of this global problem is so large that we actually said, can we really do this? As humans, we are phenomenally capable of driving change rapidly. The, I think the message I'd like to leave is one of hope. I think we can all together Actually, deliver a world which doesn't go over a 1.5 degree temperature increase, and I believe if we work together, you know businesses, governments, and us all, we can make that change. And, and I would just encourage us, and we can all play our part in that. And we can play our part in that simply on a day by day basis by, you know, buying uh, what we need and eating what we buy, and reducing the the 30 percent of all food that are produced on the planet that is wasted. We can buy reused uh, items. We can buy repaired items. We can only buy when we need uh, uh, materials, just help that reduce that impact on the environment. And yeah, select products with high recycled content, select products that have, uh, have been remanufactured. We can all play that role, and that will be part of our contribution to helping deliver uh, a world uh, which doesn't go over 1.5 degrees C and actually tackles that, uh, the climate emergency. So that's the message I'd like to leave us all, one of hope and one that we can play a part. You know, small changes make a big difference if they're done by billions of people around the world.
0: Thank you so much, Richard. I think it's a message that I really like. It's a message that we can share, and and this is one of the objectives of the portal, to give hope together, bringing different change makers from all over the world, from all over the places, all looking for these solutions, you know, to, our, to the challenge that is, as you say, the biggest economic and social of our time. So every day we vote with ourselves, with our consumer behavior for, for change. And you're doing a wonderful job to enable you know solutions all over the planet. Thank you so much, Richard, for your time, for your insight. And it's been a great pleasure having
1: you. And thank you so much for interviewing me. I really, really, really enjoyed that discussion. Thank you.
0: Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.